You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. This is a year-end best of episode episode, and it's how and why you age and what it takes to be young forever. Towards the end of the year, I find my most popular, most sought after, most commented on episodes, and then I remix and remake them for you to make sure that you get a reminder and an update about what matters most. What were your takeaways from the show over the year? And there's a couple of reasons to do this. One is you might not have heard the original version, but more importantly, even if you did hear it, spaced repetition of learning makes a difference. So I'm doing this because I'm hopeful that when you listen to this new version of the episode, you are going to reinforce the neurons and the memories in your brain so that it'll stick with you. This episode made the list because you told me that you loved learning about the top 10 hallmarks of aging. This is a perspective a little bit different than what you would get if you read Superhuman, which is my big focused book on longevity at New York Times bestseller. And in that book, I talk about the seven causes or seven pillars of aging and the four killers. And strangely, since that time, if you read most of the newer longevity books, they all talk about the four horsemen, the four killers, the four sorts of things. So this is the obvious first step. Don't die. (laughs) But what if you get past don't die and you want to live to at least 180 versus one of those people who says, I'm just going to help your health span because I'm afraid to say uh, that you might live longer. Like there's, there's a lot of fear in some people who are just unwilling to say, yes, we are going to do this. And I'm here to tell you, we are going to do this. If you were to look at, say, the year before the Wright brothers flew, there were leaders in military and leaders in science saying it was impossible the year before. So we are at the Wright brothers moment for longevity where I did a therapy a couple months ago that I talked about on the show that will likely take 10 years off my biological age. (laughs) It took 30 seconds to do the therapy. What if we had one of those come out every two years? You think you might live a little bit longer? You think your health span becomes, well, of course I want that, but I want lifespan. That's where we are. So this episode is with my friend, Dr. Mark Hyman. And this is a guy who for his entire life has been working on healthier, longer life for himself and others. And he believes, as I do, that the body has an incredible built-in healing system and that you can turn it on if you understand the principles of longevity. Dr. Hyman has reduced his biological age by 20 years, and he tackles the topic of inflammation in this episode and what it does to aging, or he calls it inflammaging. And if you're a long-time reader, even going back to 2011 when I started the biohacking movement, inflammation is behind the Bulletproof Diet and why people have lost a couple million pounds on it. And inflammation is essentially mitochondria that don't work very well. They make inflammation instead of electricity or heat. So of course they would be affecting aging because I can tell you, your mitochondria aren't repairing themselves if they're causing inflammation. What you're going to learn in this episode is Dr. Hyman's perspective on the components of aging, like metabolic flexibility and resilience, mTOR, meat versus plant-based protein, and little caveat for me there, there's abundant evidence from my perspective that animal-based protein is necessary, 
And it also has a downside that you can counteract easily. It just has much less of a downside than plant-based protein. You'll get Dr. Hyman's take on nutrition, environmental allergies and food sensitivities and aging, histamine, autophagy, fasting, DEXA scans for body composition, and more. So this is a little bit of a masterclass for you. You're also going to hear about the causes of accelerated aging and how to treat it as a reversible disease. Dr. Hyman's practical tips for daily habits to increase energy and performance. And overall, I want this to be a reminder for you as we go into the New Year's resolution season that you are in control of your own biology. And this is a year you can live better than you thought you could. And you can live longer than you thought you could. And someone who tries to tell you that you can only have one of those two probably isn't thinking big enough because you can live longer and you can live better. And that's the only way you would want to live longer. So tune in and enjoy this episode with Dr. Hyman, who's been on the show many times and we hang out whenever we get a chance and a good human being. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey, formerly Bulletproof Radio. Dr. Mark Hyman, welcome back to Thanks, the show. Dave. Thanks, Dave. It's been a bit, but I'm happy to be back. You're looking young. What are you doing? <laughs> what am I not doing? <laughs> you know, Dave, I um, turned 63 <clears throat> last year. And uh, when I turned 60, I was like, okay, wait a minute. I, I think there's a bunch of stuff that I need to really understand about why we're seeing such a terrible epidemic of chronic disease and rapid aging in this country. And I don't want to be subjected to that. And I, I've been practicing functional medicine for 30 years almost and using the principles to help upgrade my health. But I kind of wanted to double down on looking at what, you know, what's really the latest science of how do I optimize my bi biological age? How do I actually not just live longer, but feel better? And how do I optimize my function and not go down the trajectory of what I see as abnormal aging in America. What we typically see is people getting older and getting decrepit and frail and disabled and dysfunctional, not able to do what they want to do. Um, but I don't want that for myself or anybody else. And I realize that we have sort of within us this incredible healing system that we can activate through the understanding of this emerging science of longevity. So, so when you're talking about, you know, 20 years ago, looking at longevity, we didn't know as much because it was sort of a sort of a, a step kid, you know, to science. People didn't study it. People didn't fund the research in longevity. But now there's a tremendous amount of research, and we've learned so much about what actually causes rapid biological aging, and we know what to do to reverse it. So I'm biologically 63. I mean, sorry, for, I'm chronologically 63, but I'm biologically 43. Because I've applied a lot of these principles wow, to myself. So you actually have a 20-year gap now? Yeah, 20 years. And that's uh, what, DNA age? Which <clears throat> test DNA methylation. I also did telomeres a couple years ago, and okay. it was also about a 20-year difference. Yeah. Nice. So 20-year difference is is at the upper end of what I've seen. And the DNA methylation clocks um, that we can use, if you're new to the, the science of this and listening, there's different ways of deciding how your or what your biological age is. Uh, and I've I've done a bunch of them. I'm only nine years younger, uh, or no, eleven years younger. I 
yeah, I'm 11 years. Well, you know, you know how it is. Like the the more overweight you are, the yeah. more weight you can lose. The I, older you yeah. are, the more age you can lose. So I think it's something that's, like that. There might be some truth to that. <laughs> I, I was, all I know is that because if you're like 12, you can't go back to zero, right? I think so. I would have been 70 when I was 20 because I, I mean I was really unhealthy too. But it, it's interesting. I know many people who are at least five years younger biologically, and then you and I both have know people who are way older than their age. Yeah, yeah, right, and. How much do you trust those measurements? I think that, you know, there are kind of a lot of companies that are coming out with DNA methylation, epigenetic clock testing, which is the way we kind of look at your biological age. And there are other metrics, you know, like telomere length and things. But I think, you know, there is some variability. But I think if if you kind of look at the companies that are doing the best job, I think True Diagnostic is one of the best. I don't have any affiliation with them. But, you know, they, they, they're pretty good with reproducible results. And then you can track what you're doing over time. So the, the beautiful thing is that we have a program that we can change in our biology by understanding how to affect these underlying factors we call the hallmarks of aging that accelerate aging. So we can literally reprogram our, our biology and our genes and our epigenome to a younger self at any time if we know actually what to do. And that's really what led me to write Young Forever, what was the sort of central thesis is that we have now finally unlocked the causes of aging of abnormal aging, let's say, not chronological aging. That's just time. I can't do anything about that. But we've unlocked the causes of rapid biological aging, which is abnormal, and it's treatable. So all of a sudden, we're kind of reframing aging as a disease, as a treatable disease. And that's a very big frame shift for many people. Uh, it's it's something <clears throat> that was very hotly debated, even going back as, as far as the 90s and the early aughts. When you say disease... When you would say aging was a disease, you would get a really reactive response, for, especially from Western medical doctors. They'd get angry. Why does it make people angry when well, you say aging because is I, a I think I think there's there's a sense that there's inevitability to the process of decline and dysfunction, and people just don't like that inevitability, so and then they get mad. No, because they think that it's 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 actually a disservice to science to talk about something that's impossible, which like, is like, like flying or right. nuclear power, all, all those pesky things that actually change the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We talk about those. <laughs> like, you know, right? Or get to the moon. <laughs> like we just don't think it's possible, right? So we have a paradigm shift that's happening, and so the paradigm was. This is what happens as you get older. I mean, even when I was in medical school, you know, and, and still today, we talk about chronic disease management, which yeah. drives me freaking crazy <laughs> because I don't want to manage someone's chronic disease. I want to get rid of it. Yeah. And I and I share a story in the book of a woman named Janice who, you know, had you know such an accelerated path of aging. She was 66. Her body mass index was 43, which is huge. She was huge. Obese. Type 2 diabetic for 10 years, heart failure, multiple stents, hypertension, high cholesterol, kidneys were failing, liver was fatty, just a mess on 20,000 of copay a year. And she was on her way to a heart transplant and a kidney transplant. Three days of changing her diet, she was off insulin. Three months, she was off all medications. Her heart failure reversed, which is something we don't see in medicine. But, you know, well, get what a heart was causing transplant. this in her diet? What do you think? Ultra processed food, which is what she lived on. I honestly was so shocked because I'll, I'll, let me finish the story, and I'll tell sure. you why I was so shocked. So she had um, heart failure normalized, which does not happen. Like you can manage heart failure. Her diabetes was completely gone. Her A1C went from eleven, which is it's like bad. way the, you know, it's like someone almost should be hospitalized with a blood sugar that level, to five and a half, which is normal. 
her blood pressure normalized, her kidneys normalized, her fatty liver went away. And she, in three months, she lost 43 pounds. In a year, she lost 116 pounds and became a different human being. And so I don't want to manage her heart failure, her diabetes, or kidney failure, or fatty liver. I want to get rid of them. And that's really what now we know how to do by activating these ancient longevity switches in the body. So as I began to sort of dig deep into the research, I'm like, wait a minute. The body has all these switches, these like levers that we can pull and work on, these right. pathways and, and built-in healing, innate regenerative repair, renewal, and um, healing systems that we can activate if we understand how. And so the book is about, you know, what are those systems and how do we activate them and what exactly do we do? Uh, it's, it, we talk about ancient systems. I, I agree with you there. Uh, when I did my anti-aging book, uh, which was a superhuman uh, probably four or five years ago yeah, now, great book. I had, thank you, I, I had seven pillars of aging. And now when I go through Young Forever, you've, well, I don't want to say added three because they don't all line up. They're, they're very similar thinking, but you have 10. There's 10, and, and now there's a couple more that have been added. So now there's right. like 13. So, <laughs> um, so scientists keep like parsing it, but essentially they, there's they do. systems that actually we start to understand are all interconnected and can drive aging. Okay, you have a history of 30 years of practicing functional medicine. And so you've got great pattern recognition that I think only starts to happen after maybe 20 years. Yeah. Okay. If you put on your 10 years from now hat, how many causes of aging are we going to have? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think, look, um, I, th I think the body has these certain biological networks that are sort of becoming clear that we now can understand are underlying all disease. So, so the hallmarks of aging are one attempt to map those out. Functional medicine has really created seven physiological systems, and, and the hallmarks kind of fit in that. Um, they do. And I think, you know, the, it doesn't really matter, honestly. It's just, it's just, it's not really separate. They're not like, oh, it's 10 different things or 13 different things. It's really one system. It's like a web, all interconnected. And we're just sort of parsing it, be able to describe it and be able to work on it. But all these things relate to everything else. So any one of those hallmarks interacts with all the other hallmarks, right? Exactly. So it's not like you can kind of say, oh, this is the thing or this is the thing. It's very different. So I, I feel like uh, if you understand how to, do the right thing in terms of your lifestyle and certain behaviors, certain supplements, certain medications, certain lifestyle practices or biohacking techniques, then you can actually change those hallmarks and reverse the downslide toward rapid aging, disease, and death. Uh, you definitely can reverse that. Uh, and for some people, we don't know how for whatever's going on with them yet. And for many people, it's easy. And for a lot of people, you don't even have to know what's wrong. You, you just right. have to say, okay, like I, I like to look at this as herding sheep. And maybe because I've raised sheep on my regenerative <laughs> farm, right? But, but the uh, people are like, well, what's the one thing that, that's most important? How many things do you need to know to herd sheep? And it's, I don't know, there's like a dog and it moves around. And when one sheep is out, it get, kind of gets pushed back in. <laughs> but we know you have to give them water and they have to have enough food and sunlight because it doesn't work if you don't do those. Yeah. And it feels like our systems are not that different. Not that different, no. We can come up with, uh, I love your list of 10, by the way, and I'm going to go through some of these with you. Yeah, um, We can come up with those, but there's probably five more. And if you get, handle all these, maybe you don't have to even know the other five. Well, I think what you just said is so profound because, you know, as a functional medicine doctor, I don't treat disease. I don't, I don't um, try to cure disease. I try to create health. And then disease goes away as a side effect. So the hallmarks of aging 
are in a sense a map of how we deviate from health. And so really it's about restoration of function. That's what functional medicine is, is restoration and optimization of our function and a function of all these systems. How do our how do our cells regulate themselves with you know proper mitochondrial function and immune regulation and the microbiome and how do proteins function and how do our nutrients get regulated and how can we properly divide our cells so we don't get damaged? And so there's there's all these systems that are part of the hallmarks of aging, but we can actually, like you said, with very few basic principles, kind of fix all these things. You know, Pierre Laplace said, you know, but, you know, we can explain a large number of complex phenomena by a small set of general laws. Think, think about physics. There's just a few laws of physics. And think of everything you can do with physics. You can build a bridge. You can send a man to the moon. You can, you know, create, you know, our cell phones and whatever. I don't even understand. What, I mean, I took <laughs> physics in high school. That was about it. So or maybe, you know, I had to take physics in college because I had to go to medical school. So I took a co- physics. But, I mean... It's it's just uh, it's just mind blowing when you think of how many things can be uh, manifested from a few set of small laws. And so I would say what we're now discovering, Dave, is is the underlying fundamental laws of the universe, the nature of nature, the laws of biology. Because we've never had those. Biology is so complex. It's yeah, so it's it's been so reactive. Okay, you have a headache, you go to the head doctor. You have a stomachache, you go to the stomach doctor. You go to the joint doctor if you have a joint pain. That's not how the body's organized. Because <laughs> if you have a joint pain, it might be from your microbiome. Like the, right. Your rheumatologist doesn't say, can I please see your poop? They should, yeah. right? And I do, but, but that's not generally what happens. And when you practice medicine that way, you see extraordinary things. You don't have to treat all the diseases separately. And, and you, you know, uh, the hallmarks of aging, the theory around this is that these are things that go wrong that can explain all the disease of aging. So... What we're seeing are leaves on the trees, like like diabetes, heart disease, cancer, dementia, all these things, high blood pressure. These are just downstream of things, effects of these problems that can occur in the hallmarks. And then that that's something you can actually treat. Now, for, for me, as I began to think about this, I was like, wait a minute. You know, the hallmarks are great, and they, they provide a target for treatment and thinking, but they're also kind of reductionist, too. And the real answer to solving aging is figuring out why the hallmarks become dysfunctional in the first place. So why do we see these problems? Now, what's the cause of the hallmarks? If the hallmarks are the cause of all these diseases, what is the cause of the hallmarks? And that's what I really think is different about Young Forever is that it's through a functional medicine lens, which allows you to treat the root causes of everything. So not treating the like hallmarks like with a drug. Oh, inflammation is part of the hallmarks of aging. Let me give you a anti-inflammatory drug, right? Right. It doesn't make sense, right? It it doesn't make sense. Or or you're or like metformin. I, I think this is really good. Well, let's talk about metformin. <laughs> yeah. This is well, interesting. Yeah. So one of the hallmarks of aging that I think is, uh, if we can dive into it, is super important. And I think it's kind of a meta hallmark. It's, it's kind of above all the hallmarks because it, it, it influences all of them. The god of all hallmarks. The god of all hallmarks. Exactly. And it's it's <laughs> a, they call it deregulated nutrient sensing, yes. blah, 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 whatever. But it means basically that your body's regulation of the food you're eating is screwed up. And when that's screwed up, it turns on all these pathways that accelerate aging. So we, we, there are really four of these pathways that are key. Uh, or I call them longevity switches. So two of them sense too much of stuff that we're eating, and two of them sense a lack or scarcity of nutrients. 
So insulin signaling is probably one of the major drivers of aging. Too much insulin is the, is the worst thing you could possibly think of for aging. So if you want to measure a biomarker that's 10 bucks that any lab can do that your doctor is not doing, that's probably the most important metric in terms of determining your progression to aging is your fasting insulin level. The insulin signaling is such a big factor. And, and so we eat too much sugar, too much starch, and that pushes this pathway to go, 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 go. And that creates everything we see as aging, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia. The, the high levels of sugar and starch we consume, like the mountains of um, pharmacologic doses, about almost a pound a day per person of flour and sugar, just drive this pathway into the ground and cause obesity, cause heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia. It's the worst. And then it also drives inflammation, it drives mitochondrial dysfunction, it drives damage to proteins, it drives zombie cell production, it drives epigenetic changes. It's like it drives, all, all of it, the 10 get this, driven by insulin, right? right. It <laughs> screws up your microbiome when you eat too much sugar and starch. So literally everything that happens is that. So, second, the second, so the key to that is you know, eat very low glycemic diet. Low starch and sugar diet is so important. Low or zero? I wouldn't say zero. Your skin is the largest organ in your body, and it's constantly working to protect you. It's also the first place you'll notice signs of aging. But traditional skincare only provides a temporary fix. The real key to younger, healthier skin is to understand and target the root causes of aging at the molecular level. And that's exactly what One Skin is doing, because they're the world's first skin longevity company. Their scientists have developed something called the OSO1 peptide. This new peptide has shown incredible results in reducing senescent cells, or zombie cells, by up to 50% and reversing skin's biological age. In a third-party 12-week clinical study, one skin's products were shown to strengthen the skin barrier, improve skin health markers, and diminish wrinkles in 87% of users. After seeing those results, I had to give it a try, and my skin hasn't looked or felt this healthy in years. It's very noticeable. So if you're ready to upgrade your skin health at the cellular level, head over to oneskin.co and use the code UPGRADE15 at checkout to save 15% because you listen here. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code UPGRADE15. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD+, levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. You know, eat very low glycemic diet. Low starch and sugar diet is so important. Low or zero? I wouldn't say zero. We don't have to have zero. I mean, I think zero is, we, you know, you can be a carnivore and have a zero carbohydrate diet. There's no, there's no biological requirement for carbohydrates. But I don't, I don't think, uh, we're, we're very, like, metabolically flexible when we're healthy. So we can manage uh, different kinds of carbohydrates from 
like whole foods and from you know whole grains. I mean, even even if uh, like you know, like, if you're for example a marathon runner or you're really active, you know, you can consume a lot of carbohydrates. It's not going to mess up your metabolism. But if you're just sitting around the couch, you know, it, a little bit can be bad. So it really depends on you, your metabolic health, your body fat, your you know. Do Do you really see people who eat only meat and fat do healthy in the long term? I don't know because I think I haven't seen people do that very much. The only thing I would say is like the the the, the, um, the Plains Indians at the turn of the century had the, the largest amount of centenarians. People lived to be 100 years old, and they basically survived on bison. They sur- but they ate small amounts of carbs too. <clears throat> yeah, they did. They had berries, and yeah. they, had, they, they foraged for plants, and so they yeah. did it, yeah. Right, they so, did eat the plants for at least yeah. polyphenols. So I, I mean, you know, there are cultures that were more carniv- carnivorous, but I think, you know, we have these built-in systems to regulate carbohydrate metabolism, so it's not bad. It's just when it gets flooded. The second is mTOR, and this is a long conversation. I love mTOR, yeah. mTOR is a really interesting um, pathway that is regulating protein synthesis, and um, it, it can be... It can, it can be overstimulated by eating all the time, by not giving it a break, by eating too much in general, carbohydrate or protein. And if you don't give yourself a break from eating, you can't give this pathway a rest, which is needed to actually create one of the key central things that makes you live a long time, which is autophagy. It's essentially self-cleanup, self-cannibal, self-cannibalism. It's your recycling, repair, regeneration mode. It's where you take old parts and you get rid of them and you digest them and you break them down and you build them into new things. It's like a recycling plant, basically. And we desperately need that to function and to be turned on every day and to maybe have longer periods where it's turned on by more more periods of fasting. We saw, for example, people who survived the concentration camps. They live really long time. And it's fascinating. And they're not like a genetic thing. They just seem to live like in their 90s, 100s. And it's like, wow, they're they're still around. And it was 75 years ago. Right, you know, and so a lot of that had to do with this sort of shutting down um, their their systems through starvation, and then that that actually activated all these longevity pathways. And we'll talk about mTOR and what to do and everything. And but but that's where you get time restricted eating, intermittent fasting. You get drugs like rapamycin. There's other plant compounds and things that can actually in, if, affect mTOR. C15 is a fatty acid that actually stimulates the inhibition of mTOR. Uh, and then you've got these two pathways that sense not enough, which is AMPK and sirtuins. So if low, if you have a low nutrient state, you're basically, um, well, AMPK means adenosine monophosphate kinase. Essentially, it's a when you, you run on ATP, which is your fuel. You run your car runs on gas. You run on ATP. And when, when uh, the phosphate molecules are given away, instead of adenosine triphosphate, it becomes monophosphate, meaning one phosphate molecule instead of three. And then your body goes, oh, wait, I'm starving. And then it kicks in all these beneficial switches and pathways to conserve energy, to make your system optimized, to reduce inflammation, to improve your mitochondrial function, to do all these really beneficial things, which is great. And that's where metformin comes in. So I'm going to answer your metformin question. And the last pathway is the sirtuin pathway, which has you know, been kind of highlighted by David Sinclair and, and Lenny Guarte, who from MIT, who basically found that you could extend life by a third by giving huge amounts of resveratrol to rats or mice. And, and that was amazing. And they found it increased their metabolism and improved their, their fitness level, did all kinds of things, even if they were eating crappy and not exercising. So it was like a very powerful pathway. This pathway is, um, is actually important because it, it actually, when it's activated, it stimulates DNA repair. So one of the hallmarks of aging is damaged DNA. So when you stimulate sirtuins, it activates DNA repair. 
And that's a good thing. And it also improves mitochondrial function, reduces inflammation, improves insulin sensitivity, does all the things. So all the things do all the things, basically, when you look right, at it. Right. So, and, and that's where NAD is being used. So you might have heard that NAD and metformin, rapamycin, and insulin, they all work through these central I think, I think listeners of the show, for, at least for a long time, have heard uh, at least one episode on each of those topics, right? right? And But now you're putting them all together. Yeah, it's not, they're that, not all separate. It's like yeah. one system. Yeah, okay. And so what do they all do? And so, so they're regulating your your body's um, entire uh, biological system. So they're regulating mitochondria, which regulate energy. They're regulating immune function and in, in inflammation. They're regulating your antioxidant systems. They're regulating your your insulin sensitivity. They're regulating um, the the autophagy process. All these things that have to be dialed in if you want to prevent and reverse disease and live a long time. You have to dial these things in. So metformin is being touted as a longevity drug. Now I I have a huge problem. With it. Okay, you and, and me I, both. We gotta let's like slam well, on melatonin. I, 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 yeah, I read melatonin on metformin a little bit. I, I I wrote about this and I I tried to create a balanced conversation in the book. I said, okay, here's what the data show. Here's why I think it's problematic. There's a large trial coming out called the Tame trial, which will help answer some of these questions. And and recently, Dave, there was a, a new study that came out that kind of put a little bit of warning signs on the metformin craze. Another you know? study that does that, you mean? <laughs> well, so the, the, the metformin is a drug that it, that uh, is beneficial towards AMPK. So it, it optimizes AMPK function, which is good, which is all we just talked about. So you think, okay, that's good. But it also has some side effects. It has some mitochondrial side effects, which I really worry about because mitochondria are key to healthy aging. Yeah. It can cause digestive upset in some people. Improves insulin sensitivity. And I think it's fine. But when you look at like a large trial, it was very. It's very hard to do randomized controlled trials in nutrition. Very, very hard because you got like, you know, you need thousands of people. You got to give them the same program, and you got to have control groups. And so what they did was this very, very big, uh, famous study called the Diabetes Prevention Trial. And what they did was they took di- pre-diabetics and they gave them three different interventions. One was nothing, one was metformin, and one was lifestyle change. The metformin reduced the progression to. Type 2 diabetes by 31%. Okay, benefit uh, compared to the control group. Lifestyle was 58% reduction. Oh, there's that. But it was a shitty diet. <laughs> no, and I know people who are in the study, so I had patients who were in I was like, wow, this is really nuts. But it worked because people, you know, cut out all the crap in their diet. They exercise. They support each other. They were accountable. A lot of reasons for it. But my point is this. If, if, if metformin doesn't work half as well as a crappy drug... I mean, as a, as a crappy diet and a lifestyle intervention, mm. what if you put people on a ketogenic diet and mentioned that against metformin? Yeah. It, it then what? dominates. It yeah. completely yeah. changes everything. And so I, I kinda, I'm not a big metformin fan at this point. I'm, I'm more of a rapamycin fan. Okay. But I think, I think metformin uh, recently was, was reviewed in another large uh, study, and they found that, uh, that the original results that seemed to show that type 2 diabetics who were on metformin died at you know, less rates than people were, on, were not on metformin, I think has been sort of challenged. So I, I think it's still an open question, but it is definitely not on my list of things to take for, for aging at this point. That patient who I just mentioned was an advanced type 2 diabetic on insulin every day. <laughs> and within three days, she's off her insulin. She's off all her medications. Her A1C is normal. Her insulin sensitivity is high because of the food. There's no more powerful drug. So I'm just saying like, 
So they put her on like Beyond Burger and Impossible Burgers and all that, right? Is that what she was eating? Definitely not. <laughs> but think about it. It's like, <laughs> those are highly processed foods. It's like if, I, if, I can, if I can give you like 1,000 milligrams of aspirin for your headache, it's going to work better than if I give you 2 milligrams of aspirin, which probably won't work. So I think of like these drugs as like 2 to 5 milligram doses compared to 1,000 milligram doses, uh, which is lifestyle. Like that's how big the order of magnitude difference is in terms of the effect. You just can't get you, – you can give every diabetic – Every drug, every treatment that is conventional for diabetes, you will never reverse it. You will yeah. never, with every single drug piled on, you will never see the disease go away. But with food, you can go away in three days. So how is that not such a, like a headline news on every major major I, uh, out, news outlet? I love what you're saying, and it's, it's one of the reasons with Upgrade Labs, and since we last talked, we're franchises, we're opening dozens of locations all over the country, and it's a non-medical facility. Like if any if any disease is reversed, that's a side effect of lifestyle. Like all we're doing is saying, what's the lowest dose of lifestyle that will get you there? Uh, because uh, I'm I'm a little disturbed by the pharmaceutical sales engine right now trying to say these things. Ozempic, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, well, it, I, I I actually kind of think Ozempic is exciting. There's isn't there an anti-aging angle for GLP agonists? Uh, because of uh, its effect on on body weight or on insulin sensitivity, not just sensitivity. body weight, on, on insulin sensitivity. Yeah. yeah, it seems like Ozempic might not be a bad thing if you're obese compared to the alternatives. Okay, you show me a single patient who took Ozempic and reversed their diabetes. I have no. There idea. doesn't exist. I, it's just I you, will. I will you, tell you, I did do one injection of Ozempic because I interviewed one of the lead researchers in the trial, so I always try everything I can, and I felt like I had morning sickness for a week, uh, and well, right. I didn't want to eat, right. and then I lost muscle mass because I didn't want to eat. Well, that's the other thing. That, well, <laughs> that's that. the other thing. Even yeah, that's the other thing. Mm. What concerns me about Ozempic, and this is this is, speaks to really <coughs> one of the key central features of healthy aging is muscle. You've got to maintain, keep, build muscle as you get older. It's harder to do as you get older, but you can. And when you take Ozempic, 40% of the weight loss is muscle. Wow. Which means... Even if you're lifting? You have to... Yes. You you can you can avert some of it by aggressive strength training. And, and a and, whole bunch of testosterone. And a whole bunch of supplements and testosterone. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, but, if I weighed 100 pounds, I would take Ozempic, though, just to be really clear. If you weighed what? If I weighed 100 pounds more than I do now, like so if, if I weighed 300 pounds like I did... I would have taken Ozempic and not regretted a minute of it, lost the weight, and then worked my ass off and made sure my hormones That's were fine. That's fine. Yeah. But people have to understand, like, the minute you get off it, your metabolism is slower than when you started because of, it. Because of caloric restriction, yeah. Because of the muscle loss <laughs> that happens. And unless you really are aggressive while you're taking it in strength training, you will see that. And even if you don't, you'll see that. And also, um, I would say that 65% of the weight that you lose gets regained for the average person if you stop it. So this is a lifelong drug unless you radically change everything in your life. So I think, if, like you said, would I, would, I, would I say if you were 100 pounds overweight instead of a gastric bypass to take Ozempic for a year, lose the weight, and then you know, be aggressive in the taking of it, changing your lifestyle... And after, yes, okay, I can understand that, but not as a solution. I mean, think about it. Medic, Med, New England Journal just came out of an article last week, and it was it was about Medicare Part D. Now, Medicare Part D, for those who are listening who don't know, is basically the drug benefit. Mm -hmm. The entire budget for the drug benefit, the entire budget is $145 billion. If just the people in Medicare who are obese, not the overweight ones, okay, just the obese ones, 
took Ozempic, it would the entire bill would be two hundred and sixty-eight billion dollars, which wow. means it would be almost you know eighty-five percent more than we currently spend on all drugs for all Medicare patients. Bottom line is that you know when we think of interventions that you know have. Uh, orders of magnitude of benefit more than medication. There are so many of them. You're totally and, right. And I think diet, exercise, certain you know, sort of lifestyle practices, and certain supplements, and even certain medication mm -hmm. can be useful. Like I think rapamycin works on mTOR, which is interesting because that. Yeah, let's talk about rapamycin. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I I um fascinated by this because you know, when you start to see like I don't know I you see pattern recognition. So I've been doing this so long. So I see it when I read this stuff. I go, oh, oh, yeah, this is how everything connects. This is how it works. The body's like a system. It's like a network. And you start to see like an ecosystem. It's sort of like tripping on mushrooms. You see how everything's connected, you know? <laughs> right, right. And so it's like, whoa. And, and I begin to kind of have this excitement and epiphany as I begin to unpack this science around this. And, and mTOR is a very important pathway because we need it to build muscle. If you shut off mTOR all the time, you're going to not be able to build stuff and make proteins because you need mTOR to activate protein synthesis. But if you do it all the time, you're going to build too much proteins. You're going to get cancer and all kinds of other stuff. So it's, overstimulation is not good. And in, inhibition of mTOR in a cyclic way is so critical to longevity because it's the way we activate this pathway of autophagy or self-cleaning up. So when you think about what, why is this all there? What, what, why do we have these pathways? Because historically, you know, we didn't have you know, Whole Foods or grocery store or 7-Eleven on every corner. Mm -hmm. We didn't have an abundant sea of kind of food carnival around us to eat every kind of crap at every minute of every day. No Skittles. No Skittles, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we basically had to kind of go through periods of starvation where, we're, oh, God, I can't find anything to eat or I can't kill that. I was watching some Instagram feed of like a, a, a puma chasing a guanaco in Chile and which is like a llama, and uh, and the the poor the poor puma was like jumping on it, and the Ganaco would throw it off, jumping on it, throw it off, and jumping. Like the, finally, there was like they couldn't he couldn't get a meal, right? <laughs> I'm like God, you know, it's tough out there. So somebody just can't catch that buffalo, you know? Right. And and, and so you go hungry. Uh, and we have these ancient systems to make sure we don't die when we're not eating, and that we we not only don't we die, but we start to really fix everything. Oh geez, I'm I'm like in trouble. So the body kicks into gear and has these ancient systems to repair, clean, rejuvenate, use all proteins, old proteins, build new things. You don't stop making proteins when you're not eating, right? Your body uses the body's proteins to start to fix it. And so that's what mTOR inhibition does. It activates this process of of repair and cleanup. So what's so fascinating to me is like in the the, the pathways named um mTOR, which means mammalian target of rapamycin. Rapa, uh, rapamycin is the drug. So why would you name a pathway after this drug? Well, that's how kind of they discovered it. And this rapamycin is named after Rapa Nui or Easter Island, which is where they found this compound. These scientists in the 60s were scraping the soil and trying to find cool compounds. I don't know, maybe the aliens, they thought dropped some good medicines in the soil. <laughs> And so they basically got this compound. They, they put it in a lab. They tested it for antifungal purposes. It didn't really work that well. The guy's boss said, just throw it out. It's garbage. And he didn't. So the science, the lab guy was like, I'm keeping this stuff. And then they found that it actually modulates immune function. So they use it in transplant medicine. And 
And then they found out that it actually inhibits this pathway called mTOR, which can extend life dramatically in animals and reverse a lot of the biological aging phenomena. So when you look at the one thing, the one thing that almost all scientists agree can reverse uh, uh, aging and actually extend life. So the, the, we don't really have many interventions that can extend life by a third. I mean, if you're, you live to 80, instead you live to 120. That's impressive, right? So it's not like you're getting a couple extra years. You're getting like a massive increase. If, if you eat a third less calories, you live a third longer. Now, that's pretty miserable. And I met a guy once who was in the Calorie Restriction Society. Yeah, I, know I said, what did like you have for that. breakfast? He's like, oh, I had five pounds of celery. I'm like, <laughs> you must yeah. have very strong uh, and, and, and <laughs> chewing I'm, muscles. And I'm still <laughs> trying to get a date. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what did you have for lunch? I had 12 pounds of tomatoes. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, not, it's <laughs> so, not sustainable. It's, so, it's just not going to happen. So, so anyway, but in animals, they can do it because the animals can't complain. And so they find it really works. And so what we're trying to find, you you hinted this, what are the things that mimic calorie restriction? What are the things that can kind of make your body pretend? And so fasting is actually calorie restriction. So yeah. time-restricted eating is a form of calorie restriction. Works great. Uh, ketogenic diets, another form of sort of calorie restriction in the sense of how the body perceives it, right? Mm. Because because of the insulin effect. Well, it's like, it's it basically what happens when you don't eat? You go into ketosis, Right, so the body is—it's ha- it's actually doing the same things. Fasting, mimicking diets where you have low-calorie diets for five days uh, periodically. All these things work in a very similar way, and 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 they and they activate even, even soluble fiber when you think about, it, or sorry, insoluble fiber. That it's calories that you can't absorb, so that's calorie restriction, even though there's calories, right? Right, Just right, another right. Another tag your list. Keep going. Yeah. So yeah. Many, basically, you you basically can through many different doorways. Uh, turn on these ancient starvation systems, these ancient survival systems. And and when you do that, you actually can can really have a dramatic impact. So rapamycin seems to do uh, all these things. It inhibits mTOR, which then turns off inflammation. It activates mitochondrial biogenesis. It increases your antioxidant systems. It increases autophagy. It increases DNA repair. It has impacts on all the other things. So it may activate sirtuin activity. And So they're all like kind of interacting. They're not like separate things. And so it's kind of a cool thing to say, oh, I'm going to take this drug once a week, which is kind of the protocol, six milligrams a week, or some people are taking it two milligrams, you know, three times a week for eight weeks or five weeks off or eight weeks on. It's like everybody's kind of guessing, honestly. But but the data is really fascinating, and I, I'm kind of optimistic about it. I started taking it. Um, How often do you take it? I take it once a week. And, okay. Uh, do you well, fast on the day you take it? I, I take it at night. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Your skin is the largest organ in your body, and it's constantly working to protect you. It's also the first place you'll notice signs of aging. But traditional skincare only provides a temporary fix. The real key to younger, healthier skin is to understand and target the root causes of aging at the molecular level. And that's exactly what One Skin is doing because they're the world's 
first skin longevity company. Their scientists have developed something called the OSO1 peptide. This new peptide has shown incredible results in reducing senescent cells or zombie cells by up to 50% and reversing skin's biological age. In a third party 12 week clinical study, one skin's products were shown to strengthen the skin barrier, improve skin health markers, and diminish wrinkles in 87% of users. After seeing those results, I had to give it a try, and my skin hasn't looked or felt this healthy in years. It's very noticeable. So if you're ready to upgrade your skin health at the cellular level, head over to oneskin.co and use the code UPGRADE15 at checkout to save 15% because you listen here. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code UPGRADE15. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Fascinating, and I, I'm kind of optimistic about it. I started taking it. Um, How often do you take it? I take it once a week. And, uh, do you well, fast on the day you take it? I, I take it at night. Okay. Um, so I do a overnight fast, so 16-hour fast, so it's not like too fast. I'm too skinny. If I fast, I... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, it can be a problem, and I'm the last guy who would ever be saying it's a problem. But I did get too thin, even without taking that stuff. But if I overfast and and all, it's to the point that having that metabolic control is is incredible. But you've always been thin, right? Yeah, yeah, I've always been. I've always been like this. I mean, I've always exercised. But basically, I was 40 and I was running. I was eating healthy. I was you know doing functional medicine. But it was an era where we thought you know more carbohydrates, less fat less protein was better. Ashes you. Yeah. So I was eating you know, whole grains. I was eating beans. I was, eating, you know, I wasn't like eating junk food. Uh, and I wasn't eating a lot of sugar, but I definitely was, didn't have the, the muscle mass. And I was sort of shocked when I was going through pictures and I saw this whole picture of me when I was 40. Uh, and I was thin, but I just looked kind of like nothing. And yeah. then I look at this picture of me when I'm 62. And you're ripped, yeah. And it's like, what? <laughs> and so... Uh, you know, the body has that amazing ability to to do this at any age. So it's never too late to start. Okay. I, I've got to ask you the mTOR uh, elephant in the room question, mm, mm. given that elephants are made out of meat. Mm. Not that I would eat one. Oh, meat. Yeah. Oh, so well, meat I, is definitely bad because meat causes mTOR to turn on, and that's really bad. So we should never eat any well, meat. I mean, I, Dr. Right? Gundry was, was just on, <laughs> and, and Dr. Gundry's a friend, and I, I respect him greatly. You know, we talked about it, and, and he's, you know, all these plant-based proteins and all. For that reason, and I, you know, that's yeah. an area we don't agree. We agree on many things. Yeah, but yeah. what is what is your take, Doctor Hyman? Yeah, meat Good. or no meat and mTOR. Well, I've written about this a lot yeah. in food. Yeah. What the heck should I eat? I did. I, I basically locked myself. I was in Austin actually when I wrote that chapter. I locked myself in a room in a hotel with like a pile of papers this big next to a bar. I'm like, shop. I am not going to listen to every stupid blah, 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 you know, guy, influencer, doctor, scientist. I want to know what the data yeah. show. I, I want to, I'm like, I'm a doctor. I can read papers. I understand how this works. Yep. I can evaluate, the, you know, how this is. I'm like, trying to, because you go, because the one thing is to read the headline. Another thing is to read the abstract. Another thing is to read the methods. And then to read the supplementary material, which has all exactly what they ate and what they did and what the other factors were. And, and basically, um, my conclusion was that, you know, meat is not bad for you. <laughs> that, that it, yes, we should not be eating feedlot meat for many reasons. And, and lunch meat and hot dogs are not meat. Oh, my God, Dave. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I was, I, was, I was down in Florida. I had to do this show, this TV show. My flight was delayed. I got in late. I, I didn't have dinner. I woke up. Um, 
had had a bunch of stuff to do, didn't really have breakfast, didn't really have lunch, had a little few snacky things. And I, I finally got to the airport on the way home and I was really hungry. And I'm like, I'm gonna try to find something to eat. And it was I'm like an airport? <laughs> Fort Myers, Florida, right? I'm like, oh God, okay. Well, I looked around and found okay, this place looks good. It had like it said carved turkey, black eyed peas, you know, collard greens. Okay, uh, that's I can go for that. So I get the turkey. I'm thinking carved turkey. It means it's carved from a turkey. No, right? no, no. And it was like turkey-like substance. Carved it was like, from a loaf. <laughs> I don't know what the hell this was, but it was like some weird, like soggy sponge-like. Did you eat it? I was so hungry I ate it. It kind of had some turkey in it. But, you know, sometimes you just got to deal with it. What do you got to deal with? <laughs> so yeah. I, it was fine. Um, and and so basically the, 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 the meat question is, is really around aging has to do with mTOR. Yes, it does. So the idea that if you overstimulate mTOR, you're going to age faster is true. So logically, if you eat anything that stimulates mTOR, that's bad. Well, that's wrong, right? It's like it's like Goldilocks. You need just the right amount <laughs> in the right way. It's like, do you need to sleep and you need to be awake? You need both, right? Yeah. So basically, the body has a need to build protein, so you need to have a construction crew and a building crew. And you also need a demolition crew and a cleanup crew. And so you need both of them. And if you just like, can I made dinner in your kitchen and never cleaned it up, it'd be a freaking mess. That's what happens when you overstimulate mTOR. But if you didn't ever cook, you'd serve it. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I, think, I think it's really about how to properly uh, activate and inhibit mTOR. So let's talk about how do you turn on protein synthesis? Because yeah, this yeah. is really key and has yeah. to do with the quality of the protein. It does. So when you look at the protage study, and look, I'm not a protage, I'm not a protein expert, um, but but I had read what protein experts have written, and there was a, a group of protein experts, the world's protein experts, got together and they wrote a paper to review all the science about muscle protein aging, called the protage study, and it was a really in-depth study that looked at you know kind of review of all the data, and they came up with a number of conclusions. One you know, you need two and a half grams of leucine to activate mTOR. If you don't have that in a meal, mTOR will not turn on to stimulate muscle synthesis. The, the idea basically is that is that if you if you don't have enough of the high quality protein, then you can't turn on mTOR. You can't build muscle. So you 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 either have to eat meat or chicken or fish and turn on mTOR with thirty grams of high quality protein with two and a half. Uh, grams of mTOR in it, or you have to have some highly processed plant protein with jacked up amino acids. And I, I don't like that. I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't Sounds do like that. Sounds like an ultra processed food product to me. It absolutely is. And I, you know, <laughs> I met these guys who are like the game changer guys. And these guys were super jacked. They're ripped and they're like strong. I'm like, what is going on? And so I met some of these guys. I'm like, so what do you do? Like, how do you how do you do this? Oh well, I have like you know, twelve you know vegan protein shakes with branched amino acids and extra leucine. And I'm like, okay, so you basically kind of cheat the system by actually having highly processed food. Because if you want to get this from eating grains and beans, good luck. I mean, you're going like you know, to, 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 to get 30 grams of protein, of usable protein, with a piece of, of chicken or meat, it's like four ounces, which is like not very much. It's like a small amount. If you want to get that from brown rice, it's, six cups or from beans it's two cups good luck eating that <laughs> and don't be in the room when you're doing that <laughs> <laughs> right you know? 
there's something else that raises mTOR more than than leucine, more than tryptophan, more than methionine. Sugar. Oh, wait a minute. We're supposed to quit eating animal protein because it raises mTOR, but sugar raises mTOR more than animal protein. How about I eat the highest quality animal protein out there because it works best and eat less sugar and I'll still have less mTOR. So anyone who tells you to go vegan, who doesn't tell you to also eat no sugar and no starch, by the way, there's no food left on a vegan diet after that. The, Tofu. The, that's a fair point. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Kill me now. Right? So, but but th th this is an impossible thing. So, literally, if you're, if you're restricting animal protein because cancer and you're having any sugar at all, you're doing it wrong because sugar is way stronger than animal protein at raising mTOR. This is why yes. bodybuilders, yes. you lift hard if you're not doing this stuff in my new book, In Smarter Not Harder, which is a lot easier, a lot better than lifting. But let's say that you lift really hard. What do old school bodybuilders, you know what they're doing, do? They take maltodextrin, which is to spike their blood sugar and a ton of protein. So they get insulin, which acts just like insulin-like growth factor. And they get a huge mTOR effect from the carbs and then the protein. Right, you have to have both. But of also, those. I had a, I had I had some shocking discoveries when I was practicing at Canyon Ranch because we had a DEXA machine, yeah. so everybody got a DEXA scan. I love those machines because if you're looking at a biomarker for healthy aging, you got to look at your DEXA. This is a way of measuring your body composition, amount of muscle, amount of fat, where the fat is. Because you can do a total body comp thing with those bioimpedance things, and you're not going to know. Like I had a guy, you know, I had a guy yesterday was 12 percent body fat in his arms, and 30 percent in his gut. The DEXA was interesting, but this guy was a bodybuilder. He had like super high body fat, but it was all like marbleized meat. It was like all marbleized meat. His wow. muscles were just marble, and because he ate a lot of these kind of carbs and protein together, like what you're saying. Yeah, you, you don't want to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. Uh, Charles Poliquin uh, was on the show. I would call him one of the OG biohackers before biohacking had a name. He taught me that when you see someone with a ton of fat, in the front, like the the Buddha belly, that that's usually a cortisol issue, and he's he's still doctors get mad at that. He, he said, "Look, you can look at the the pattern of fat deposition in a body, and it'll tell you the hormone status of the body." Well, that's true. I mean, with 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 Cushing's disease, which is a cortisol producing tumor, um, you get certain fat distribution. You, you get, like a moon face, right? You get a moon face. You get a hump on like a buffalo hump on your back. You get big big tummy. You waist muscle. You get skinny arms and legs. What I wanted to say for your friend there, the bodybuilders, yeah, if you're always eating a ton of, of high glycemic carbs and protein together, it's not a good idea. High glycemic carbs and fat together, not a, not a great idea all the time. But if you wanted to have the croissants and you're not gluten sensitive and you're in Europe where there's no glyphosate on the grains and you did that every now and then, it's not going to harm you at all if your metabolism is healthy. Well, that's it. I think the whole point here is is this idea, and it's central to functional medicine, is that <coughs> health is about metabolic flexibility and resilience. Most of us are metabolically inflexible and metabolically not resilient. So, for example, if I have a can of Coke, my insulin might go up a little bit. If, you know, some... Sally over there who's been chowing down on, you know, two liter bottles of soda for 20 years, her insulin is going to go through the roof. Same, same input, very different biological response. And I think people don't understand this, that okay, you can eat the same thing and have profoundly different effects depending on your own sort of biological software and how well you're functioning. If you want to maximize muscle synthesis is load up protein on a fasted state. So what do we have for breakfast in America? 
bagels, muffins, sweetened coffees, pancakes, French toast, you know. Bottom line is, is if you if you eat the typical American breakfast, you are killing yourself. And most of us, unless we have eggs and bacon for breakfast, don't have protein. So having protein in the morning and a load of protein, probably 40 grams, and it depends on your weight. If you're like a you know five foot tall, hundred pound little lady, it's different than if you're a six foot five, you know, 250 pound, you know, football player, right? right. So it's different. So, but but you need you need to look at you know the recommendations around protein. I'm gonna get into that in a minute, but you need that a big load of protein in a fasted state so that you actually activate mTOR in that way after fasting. That's the best way to build muscle. It's, so, you know, that's a, that's a huge thing to understand. And I think, um, you know, if, you, if you're looking at what the recommendations are for protein, this is what a lot of people talk about is 0.8 grams per kilo is what the RDA is, the recommended dietary allowance. Now, what those are are minimum amounts that you don't, that if you don't have, you will get a deficiency disease. So how much vitamin D do you need to not get scurvy? 30 units. How much vitamin D do you need to not get infections and flus and COVID and everything else? Maybe 5,000 units. So it doesn't mean... That, Why do we still look at RDAs? Well, it's really was around the, it was really around the, the era when we had massive nutritional deficiencies in this country. But the, the idea that we need 0.8 grams is basically how much protein do you need to not get Protein malnutrition. Yeah. Okay. And, and, but even then, it depends on what protein, right? Because right. different levels will still give you protein right. malnutrition. And so in, in developing countries, you know, it, protein malnutrition is a real issue. And and so it's a, it's a problem. So that's the minimum you need. And that's okay. But it's not the optimal you need to live to 120 or to build muscle or to do all the things you want to do. So that's probably more like double, like 1.6 or up to 2, depending on how active you are. Yeah. That's... That's the the real challenge. If you wanted to to live a long time, go a while without eating, and then when you do eat, have adequate protein. Yeah, yeah. Does that match oh, yeah. your perspective? Totally, totally. And I would say also, I would I would challenge you on this this nomenclature of anti aging. Okay. Then the, I'm not anti aging. I'm for healthy aging, and for optimal really? aging, and age? for and for and for reversing our biological age. So I'm not against chronologically getting older. I don't. Right, I, I, I yeah. no, that's going to happen. The, I can't think about this, that. This is a but branding problem for anti-aging. It has been for the. So I, I ran an anti-aging nonprofit group like that was started in 1993, and in the late 90s, I ended up being chairman, even though I was the youngest guy there. And I'm like, can we name it anything but anti-aging? Because being against something into, right, into, I'm for something. I'm not yeah. against, and I'm not. I don't. I, don't, I think it just kind of kind of gives the whole field a little bit of a, a, a bad rap. I, I've worked for twenty years on finding a better name. I, I had, there isn't one. Like I mean, it's healthy young aging. forever. <laughs> okay, young, young forever association. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's it's you know healthy. It's whatever. I don't even want to call it healthy aging, but I think it's for understanding how to optimize our health Ooh. as we age and to prevent and reverse diseases and to extend our life. Right, whatever you want to call that. I want to be time resistant. Time resistant. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I think Young Forever, you actually nailed the name of your book uh, because that's what we're talking about. The forever part, the time actually doesn't matter and the age doesn't matter. So you're not against it. You're not for it. Like it's irrelevant because I get to look and feel and act in the way I choose. Yeah. I want my like I want my physiology and my body's capacity to be kind of getting better as I get older 
and matching the wisdom and increased understanding of the world that happens as you get older. So like that's a kind of, as opposed to having a great mind, but I can't walk up the stairs, right? Right. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what a lot of um, happens to a lot of us is we can't function. So like I'm doing stuff that, you know, I, 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 I just wouldn't have imagined that, that it would be possible for a 63-year-old, right? I'm skiing like a maniac down super steep mountains. I'm, you know, playing tennis and improving all the time. I'm constantly getting better. Love this. I'm, I'm, I'm riding my bike and, and being faster than most of my 30, 40-year-old friends and who basically can't keep up with me. And I, you know, I, I, the body has that capacity if you understand how to work with it. Most people are just not running things properly. So if, if you put in diesel fuel in a gas car, it ain't going to run very good. So if you understand what is required to optimize the function of your car, you'll know how to run it better. Wow. I, I love that. And it's entirely possible. And what we're working towards is normalizing that. So exactly. Right. So I agree. I agree. There's, th there's things that are sort of, I would say, out of reach for the average person with, with, without an enormous amount of money, which is, you know, stem cells and exosomes and, you know. We're going to make those available by doing them now in 10 years. For sure. They will be available for everyone. So uh, we, are, uh, we are building a society where just like cell phones came out and they were only for rich people and now poorest people in remote parts of the world, it's changed their lives. That's right. We're doing that with anti-aging. Yeah, I, I I'm agree. Sorry, with healthy aging. I want to ask you about one thing that's on your list of 10 hallmarks of aging from, from young forever. And this is a really good bookmark. You write about inflammaging, which I did not have as a, as a separate, uh, a separate part of the seven pillars in, in, in my view on aging. I had that as mitochondrial dysfunction creates inflammation because when mitochondria don't make electrons or proteins that they can make inflammation. So I kind of thought it was mitochondrial dysfunction, but I have new thoughts that I didn't know about when I wrote that book. Tell me what inflammaging is, what causes it, and I want to go deep with you on inflammaging. So, you know, this is not actually relatively new idea. This is something that's been in the medical conversation for a long time now around all the diseases of aging. So heart disease, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, depression, Obviously, autoimmune disease. All these are inflammatory diseases. There's They're no, also all mitochondrial diseases, though, right? They are. So they are. But but you can have you know you you can have a mitochondrial dysfunction and that'll drive inflammation. But you can have inflammation that's primary, not driven by mitochondrial yeah, dysfunction. That's right? important. So you know, I think I think you know if you have, for example, um, your microbiome being a problem, that can drive inflammation. And that will also mess up your mitochondria because of lipopolysaccharides, right? Right, but it's not—it's not the only mechanism. So there's mul like the body has multiple mechanisms to create the same thing. There's only certain final common pathways in the body that, that you know, there's, I always say the body only has so many so many ways to say ouch, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you only get, you have pain, you have inflammation, you have certain things that happen that that create all these symptoms, but there there's these common roots. So inflammation is this common root. It seems to uh, accelerate as we get older. So we can measure biomarkers of inflammation that are highly predictive of, of uh, mortality. And David Furman at Stanford has done amazing work around this uh, called the Immunomes Project, the Thousand Immunomes. It took people, looked at their 50 different cytokines, which are inflammatory, or I'm not, not always, but uh, they're immune molecules that are often inflammatory. And he measured, you know, 50 different um, cytokines across 1,000 people from like little kids to very old. And he found that there were four very highly predictive inflammatory markers that none of which you probably anybody, including me, ever heard the name of 
that's in some sort of obscure medical textbook somewhere on immunology that it are the more more predictive than the things we do measure, like CRP. And are you talking about IL six no, or interleukin? No, these are, these are not things, the famous. No, they're, they're, you would not have heard. Okay, of it, I, I love this. Okay. I can't even remember because it's so weird. It's like CMX twelve one ninety two or something like that. So it's stuff that you can't get a lab test on anyway. Right? right, exactly. But now there are ways to test this, and using high throughput uh, testing and and screening and looking at uh, at AI analysis according according to how it, it correlates with all these chronic diseases, they found that it was the these four things were the most predictive. So there's there's going to be ways that we can map inflammation, and everything that that happens as we get older drives inflammation. So they regulated nutrient sensing, you know, mTOR dysfunction, sirtuin dysfunction, MPK mm-hmm. dysfunction, mitochondrial dysfunction, microbiome dysfunction, you know, epigenetic changes. All these drive inflammation. <laughs> so it's kind of like the downstream effect effect of all these upstream causes. Inflammation can be what we call chronic sterile inflammation. It's not an infection, right. but it's inflammation. And and that is super important to track, to measure, to look at, and to understand why. So I always joke, I say, as a functional medicine doctor, what's my specialty? I'm an inflammologist. <laughs> you know, like I'm really good at figuring out the root cause of inflammation and reducing inflammation in the body by using all my functional medicine tricks, right? Removing the bad stuff, putting in the good stuff. And so so when you look at all these different pathways, you know, you end up with accelerated inflammation. One of the one of the ways that that really accelerates this is the, the, the formation of zombie cells, uh, um, which are senescent cells, which you wrote about in your book, which are essentially these cells that when your cells are done doing what they're supposed to be doing, they usually die. Mm-hmm. We have a whole system for that. It's called apoptosis. They blow up. We recycle the stuff, and we, you know, it's great. And we kind of have a recycling plant. But sometimes these don't die, and they basically kind of live forever. But they they don't do anything useful except they spread tons of inflammatory stuff all over your body. So they kind of float around your blood and your tissues, and they create inflammation. And then they inf- kind of inf- literally infect other zombie cells. Other cells make them zombie cells. And you end up with this like fleet of zombie cells mm-hmm. that just that creates this uh, inflammatory phenotype that creates just this accelerated inflammation. So it's like putting you know fuel on the fire. And you want to make sure you can treat those zombie cells. And there's a lot of ways to do that. One, don't live a shitty lifestyle that makes them form. Two, uh, you can take things like fisetin, which is from strawberries. It's senolytic. So the whole com- mm-hmm. class of compounds now being researched that are senolytics, like quercetin yeah. and things you can get from vegetables and plants. And then also there's there's drugs that might do this. Um, but, but what is really interesting is the hyperbaric oxygen therapy was more effective at reducing senescent cells or zombie cells than any other treatment. It's funny. I have a hard hard shell hyperbaric chamber at home from oxyhealth. You do? Absolutely. Where? Here in Austin? Yeah. No, you don't. Absolutely. Okay, I'm coming over. All right, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-agers got to anti-age, as we say. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I'm coming over next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it it's, it's, it's either that or a Tesla, so I drive a 10-year-old Jeep, uh, but I have a hyperbaric chamber. Is that your black, funky-looking Jeep out there. I'm like, that's got to be Dave's car. He's such a weirdo. It's, it's got to like, be his it's car. painted with Kevlar. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, this is weird. This looks like a military vehicle. I bought it that way. It's so it's cool. It's like a military vehicle. It's so upgraded, it's better than a new Jeep. We'll put it that way. I'm all about the upgrades. So uh, so hyperbaric works really well. Uh, I have a another 
I have a theory for you uh, that I want to run past you. I'm pretty sure that a major portion of inflammation is actually mast cell activation. Interesting. So um, I think what Dave's talking about, for those of you non-medical people, is <laughs> you know you have a lot of different kinds of immune cells. One of them is called mast cells, and they they uh, when they're activated, they uh, release histamine. Histamine we're familiar with when you get hives or you get a beef sting or you know you get a rash. That's that's histamine activation, allergies, if you have seasonal allergies. But they, they also do heparin and about a hundred other inflammatory cytokines, probably including the four nasty ones. Yeah. So 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 there 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 um there's sort of an awareness that there's a subset of humans who are very allergic and who have what we call mast cell activation syndrome, which makes you really miserable. And you have to learn how to figure out what's causing it, remove those things. You have to figure out how to regulate histamine production with Various kinds of plant compounds, drugs, whatever, whatever tends to work. And there's there's a whole treatment. Pattern. Yeah, there's a whole a huge regimen for them. So, so I think mast cells um, do play a role, and can and and so some some people need to be on low histamine diets. Some people need to be taking antihistamines. They're regulating their histamine production. Not everyone needs to do that. What I'm seeing is that when people get uh, sometimes a car accident. Uh, sometimes emotional stress, like from a narcissist or a sociopath, um, or from bullying, or toxic mold, environmental uh, uh, bacteria, sewage fumes. These all take the, the I, I like to describe them as landmines in the body. They're, they're sitting there waiting to stop something bad. But once they get programmed to think there's something bad that's not actually bad, they keep setting it off. And that's a major cause of inflammation. It's not the only one. But I, I feel like... If we can learn to reset immune sensitivity, yeah, see that we're going to age a lot less. See, this is a central point, and I kind of discovered this as a functional medicine doctor. People are like, "Oh, I have to eliminate this. I have to eliminate that." I'm like, "Okay, well, yes, you're sensitive to all these things, and all these things trigger an inflammatory or immune response or some other adverse effect." The real question isn't what should you eliminate; is why are you so sensitive? Yeah, and let's fix that. People come in with all these environmental allergies. Yeah, how, how do you reprogram and, those? And people are so overstimulated by like environmental allergies or food sensitivities or food allergies, and they're mess. And they're a mess. And when I fix their gut, when I reset their immune system, they stop being allergic. Like I hear this over and over again. Oh, gee, when you did this all this program, I don't have my seasonal allergies anymore. That's cool. Right? Is that fixing the liver and gallbladder kind of stuff? or It's fixing the gut and the usual functional medicine, mumbo-jumbo, hocus-pocus, magic tricks. <laughs> it, it's funny because we don't exactly always know which pathway caused the allergies to eliminate. Like, it, Was it the gut or the liver or some sort of spleen thing? I, I think there's some question marks in it, but we know if we do this, it works. But exactly why it works, we haven't figured out yet. And that's where science is interesting, right? And speaking of interesting, I just have to say um, Young Forever is a great book and it's very actionable, which is something that I that I really look for in books. It's easy to write a book, especially now with ChatGPT, for God's sake, um, which, <laughs> oh, just yeah, re that's how, which regurgitates nonsense. You that's pretty much how I did it. I said, ChatGPT, please write a book called Young Forever on Longevity. And it was amazing. Like in, a, in like five minutes, the book was done. It was the best ever. <laughs> You're right. My book is very practical. I did it. You know, I'm a doctor, so I'm not like, yeah. you can read a lot of longevity books and they're very interesting and they talk a lot about the science and they give you an understanding of the field. But then you go, okay, now what? 
And so this book is now what? It's making it usable. That That's the hardest part as an author is saying, okay, what do you do? And, and it's full of, of things like, okay, take note of these things, add up your score, and then figure it out. And so this is the thing that says, all right, if you're not going to go see you at ultra wellness clinics, which not everyone can do, no, no. Um, read the book and you're going to get 80% of what you need right For there. Sure. And that'll probably fix it. And if totally. it doesn't, you, you go find a specialist. So I just think you've done Thank you. a, a great a great service to people uh, or for people Thank with you. the book. So guys, it's called Young Forever. My friend Mark Hyman, uh, who is definitely a modern master and... Uh, uh, and also knows that plant-based protein's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I look forward to having you on when your 16th New York Times bestseller is out. When I'm 16? Uh, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll be when we're 16 and we'll, uh, we'll make fart jokes. It'll be great. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. <laughs> The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.